Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. What a great truth that song sings. And it's a biblical truth. I believe it was John who said it in his epistles. We love him because he first loved us. And uh, really what that means very simply is this. If it wasn't for God's love, we would not love him. Now there there are some great uh, doctrinal truths in that as well, which is very simply when we get saved, the love of Christ comes into us. The reason that we are able to love God when we're saved and love others is because God's love abides in us. Amen. So literally, he loved us, sent his son to die for us, to prove his love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in saving us, he then imbues us with the ability to love him the way we ought to love him and to love others the way we ought to love others. Amen. The reason that the world is so consumed with the concept of themselves is because they don't have the love of God. The love of God causes us to have a, a, a burden and a love and a concern and a care for others. Amen. Uh, in Brother Tim's Sunday School lesson this morning, he made a statement about that, that if Christ is in us, it will cause us to want to give others what's been given to us. And that is the love of God. God proved his love toward us by sending his son to die for our sins. We prove our love toward others first and foremost by trying to give them the gospel of Christ. That is the greatest exercise of love that there is. The greatest exercise of love is that God sent his son to die for us and that we then share what wonderful news that is. Amen. That's love. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we will start and read a couple verses here, and then we will turn to Psalms chapter 37. So you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read just, I think, four verses there, and then we'll move to Psalms uh, for the remainder of the lesson this morning. I'm glad uh, to know that I'm saved. I'm glad to be in the Lord's house. I'm glad to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad to be in this church, in this place, and I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you have come this morning looking for something. Amen. Looking for something from God. Let me say this. It is commendable to go to church even when you don't feel like it. Just like it's commendable to go to work when you roll out of bed in the morning and just don't feel like it, right? It's commendable to do it because it's right and it's what you ought to do and it's responsible. And so when you come to church because it's church day, even when you don't really feel like it, that is commendable. And I'll just tell you, keep doing that. Amen. Even when you don't feel like it, go, and it's good. Because I don't know how many times, Brother Tim, I've gone to church not really feeling it, you know what I mean? Maybe I'm tired, maybe I had a long week at work, or or whatever it may be, and then when I get there, the Lord show up and speak to my heart, and I think, man, I sure am glad I was there, amen? But I'll tell you this, when you come to the house of God, try to have this thought, Lord, give me something. Amen. Not a lay back, bless me if you can mentality, but Lord, speak to me today. Amen. I, I want to leave better than I came. I want to leave with something I didn't have when I got here. I want to be fed. That's, that's the whole purpose, really, of coming to church. And, and the whole purpose of preaching uh, is for the pastor uh, to feed the flock. And feeding the flock is done with the bread of life, the word of God. Amen. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, Now, therefore, ye are no more foreigners, <clears throat> ye are no more strangers and foreigners, excuse me, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built 
upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now we looked at these verses a few weeks back when we looked at the vision, the uh, the. The, I, I, I don't really like the word theme, but that's kind of what it is, I guess, for the year that we've, we begin to focus on, which is growing together, right? And we look at these verses, how that verse 21 and 22 tell us that we, being the church of God, we are a building fitly framed together that groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we know, looking at these two verses... Uh, we discussed how that any growth uh, must be done comprehensively, that we build on what we have already learned, right? Hebrews talks about, I can't remember if it's chapter 4, chapter 6, whatever chapter it is. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection. Now, when it says leaving, it doesn't mean ditching what you've learned and getting something new. It means moving forward. Right? You, you build on what you've learned. Before you can do algebra, you've got to understand arithmetic. Right? And that's the way it is in the growth of the Lord and spiritual growth as well. Spiritual growth and spiritual building are equated to the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2. We are built in God and nothing can be built unless it's built on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of verse number 20. And we understand that and that building... Is called, we're told in verse 21 that it grows. And so we're growing and building upon a foundation to become the church that God wants us to be. It is a comprehensive growth, a comprehensive building, and, and thus only true and proper growth occurs when built upon a true and proper foundation, which is only Jesus Christ and the Word of God, who are essentially one and the same. This is God's Word, and Jesus is the Word. So we understand. I heard someone recently say, or I, I, uh, you know, here's the truth. I, I try to spend as little time as I can on social media because it's bad for my spirit. Amen? I don't know if anybody else has that problem. But for every, every good thing I see, I see ten things that, that curdle my blood. Amen? So it's a me problem, and what I have to do is I have to just say, okay, limit but I did see something, someone had posted some up, up and well-known to-do uh, preacher. I, don't even, I didn't even recognize his name. seemed like maybe I'd heard it before, but I don't know who this guy is. Uh, but he's some up high in some big Christian organization. And he said this, we need to stop, we, in the next generation, we need to change the next generation of Christians from relying on God's word to relying on faith in the resurrection. That's a silly statement to make. And here's what he said. You can't count on the Bible. Now that is not true. I completely disagree. In fact, him saying that, as far as I'm concerned, sheds a serious doubt on anything that comes out of his mouth. Because the foundations, if they be destroyed, the Bible says, what can the righteous do? Now the foundation is Jesus Christ and the resurrection. But I wonder where he learned about that. Man, the idea that we have to stop, we, and, and that, that concept that we need to get rid of a reliance on God's word is due to a lack of faith, amen, there's no faith in the Bible, and also a lack of spiritual understanding. Because the whole point of that is to open the gates for a carnal church. And a carnal church is a church built on feeling, amen, a church built on human experience and not a church built on a foundation because feelings are not a foundation. Amen. Mine changed with what I ate last night and the weather. Feelings are not a foundation. Human experience, not a foundation. I've experienced things and thought things because of experiences that I have later discovered to be untrue. Amen. So the only thing we can count on is the foundation of God's Word. And that's what we've got to build on. If we're not building on God's word, we're building on sand and not a solid rock. Amen. So understanding this as we go forward, we'll be looking at a, a number of, of, of messages and serious thoughts of, that the Lord's put on my heart. And this morning, 
Uh, I want to look in Psalm chapter 37, because as I've said, if we're, we're building foundationally, and we're building comprehensively, then we need to start at the bottom, right? You don't put the trusses up before you build the walls. You don't build the walls until you have a firm foundation to which you can attach the walls. Otherwise, you're going to wind up in a big problem, right? And here we are, and we're, as we consider the foundation, and, and I, I just kind of was praying, looking over some different things, I began to think about uh, some things concerning trust. And I want to talk about the trust of growth. And it's really not connected uh, to what that gentleman had said. Uh, and, and the truth is, if I remembered his name, I would tell you what it is. Now, I don't believe in getting up and preaching against individuals and making men our enemies, but the Bible does say to mark those that cause division among you. And so if there was someone who I knew was actively preaching and teaching heresy, I would tell you that they are, but I don't even remember the guy's name. Amen. So I'll look it up. If you're interested, you can come ask me later. But that was really not connected. I didn't even plan on saying it. It really just came to my mind. But we understand this. If we're going to build on something, we got to trust what we're building on. Amen. Uh, where my dad and them have church at New Water Baptist Church, it is an area that is, that area is called Beuland Baptist Camp. Some of y'all have been over there. It is a swamp. I haven't asked, but there's a chance they're not even having church in the sanctuary this morning. A lot of time, they will have to move over to the dining hall, which is a, a nice big building where they can have church. They'll set up chairs and do it in there because when the rain comes, it all dumps into that valley where there's that big pond, small lake, and a couple years ago, it got so high, it got in the sanctuary, and there were fish in the church, literally. Which has got a concrete slab floor, so, you know, it's, it's not too bad. And they're, they're looking to build a church, they're praying about it. But to build a church on that property would probably not be a good idea. Because they'd have to dig down very, very deep to find a firm foundation. It's just sinking dirt in that area. It is a swamp. You can't... If it's been a rain three days ago, there's places you better not walk. No matter how dry it looks, you'll sink up to your knees. It's just that way in that area, it's just not a great foundation. And if you're going to build something, you better make sure that wherever your foundation is and whatever you've used, you trust it, right? It is important to know that you can trust your foundation. And to trust, according to uh, Webster's 1828, that word trust, it means to have confidence in. It is a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person or thing. So, if I was going to build a house, once I have laid the foundation, I don't want to worry about that foundation anymore. I'm thinking about the walls, right? I'm thinking about the trusses. I'm thinking about the drywall. I'm thinking about the electric. I'm thinking about all the other things that are going to come. And while I'm thinking about that, you know what I'm think not thinking? Hope that foundation holds. The concrete's been poured. The footers are laid. Everything is solid. And once it is there, it's there. That is the way that building God's church is meant to be. Once something has been laid, the foundation, we must trust the foundation. We know from Ephesians chapter 2 that that foundation is Jesus Christ. Our foundation is God. Our understanding of God, God's speaking to us, has also come through something which we must be able to trust, and that is the Word of God. We trust God, we trust His Word. If we cannot trust these things, we cannot build. As long as there's a question in the foundation, there will never be any real growth that is done. I'm not the foundation of Calvary Road Baptist Church. Brother Joe is not the foundation. Brother Tim, the children, the families, amen, the, uh, the offering is not the foundation of Calvary Road Baptist Church. If any of those things, pragmatism, programs, and ideas, those are not the foundation of our church. The foundation can only be Jesus Christ. It can only be that. It can only be the Word of God, the Son of God. If it is anything else, it is a poor and untrustworthy foundation because everything else moves. 
But Jesus doesn't. His word doesn't. He said, you say, well, Jesus doesn't change. Well, I don't know about his word. Well, here's the problem. Jesus said this, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So if we trust Jesus, we trust his word. Amen. Psalm chapter 37, verse number 1. This is a psalm of David. It says in verse number 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. We're looking at the trust of growth here in verse number 1 through verse number 7. I want us to look at the road to trusting in the Lord. These verses outline a sort of pathway, a sort of direction, sort of stepping stones, if you would, a road that will lead us to a place where we are wholly trusting in the Lord God. First, we see there is a decision to trust in verse number 3. Verse number 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Amen. So when verse number 3 says, trust in the Lord, that word trust is a command. In, in the grammatical sense, that is called a command. You're being told to do something grammatically in the first part. Trust in the Lord and do good, right? It's a two-part command. It's a statement. It is, the, it is a decision to trust. We're talking about the road to trusting the Lord. In the verse 3, we see a decision to trust. That decision to trust is this. You have to decide, I'm going to trust the Lord. Amen. It's not something that's going to happen to you. It's not something that's going to just be. It's a decision that you make. When you stand before an altar and you look your bride or your groom in the eyes and you make those vows and they make those vows in return, you are trusting them to keep their promises, right? To put our trust in the Lord is essentially the same. It is to say, I am going to believe the Lord. Amen. I'm going to believe what he has said. I'm going to believe that he has done what he said he has done. And I'm going to believe that he will do what he says he will do. It is a decision that I am going to, from this day forward, trust the Lord. When I got saved, I decided to trust the Lord. I decided to trust him with my eternal destination, right? I decided to put my faith and trust in this statement that if I would believe with my heart and confess with my mouth, I would be saved, right? That if I would call upon the Lord, I would be saved. Because as the Bible said so, I decided to trust that he would keep me and save me and that heaven would one day be my home. I also put my trust in the Lord other times in my life. Amen. When the Lord came by and told me he wanted me to do something, like surrender to the call to preach, I put my trust in the Lord. That he knew something I didn't. Because you know what I thought as a 14-year-old boy? I cannot preach. I'm too dumb, right? I'll never be a great... I looked at men like, like my dad, who I, who I saw as a great hero of the faith, and, and other men who I would see stand and preach, like Brother Gerald England or, or uh, you know, some other men that I knew of how I would follow after who would, who would get up. And, and, and as a young boy, I idolized these men who would preach. And you know, I, I listened to them, I thought, wow, they're, they're great men of God. And when I was 13... And the Lord began to speak to my heart about how that he wanted me to be a preacher. You know what I thought? No way. That's what I thought. There is no way that I'm going to do this, and definitely not as a 13-year-old. And can I tell you something? When I surrendered to preach, I was trusting God. You're going to have to help me do this and not make a mess of it. And I'll just tell you, there was times where I did dumb things. Amen. There was times when I got up and preached and said things that wasn't even right. 
Hallelujah. And then my dad had said, now son, this thing you said wasn't exactly right. <laughs> you know, don't say that anymore. Amen. It's just, it's growing pains. Any y'all ever taught Sunday school or preached any of the preachers and said anything that was wrong? Yeah, it happens. But I trust God that, well, God, I'm just going to trust. I believe this is what you want me to do, so I'm going to have to trust that you're right. Amen? I had to trust him when I decided to marry Brooke Gray, that girl who beforehand I thought, no way. Not because she wasn't good looking. I mean, she was good looking. But because I thought, I'm not marrying that girl from that place and that thing. I don't like that girl. No way. I'm just, it's not going to happen. My brother asked me, I said, if God himself came down out of heaven and told me that was the girl I had to marry, I would die a single man. Amen. Ain't that, and I told you that, didn't I? Two months later, we were going steady. So that tells you how stable my foundation is in me. It ain't. But I had to trust God. I said, well, Lord, you, I, I, I feel like you're doing this. I'm just going to have to believe you know something I don't know. And he did. In fact, he knows a lot of things I don't know. To trust in the Lord is a decision that I'm going to put my confidence in him. And when I do, I'm going to say, okay, I'm leaving it with you. That's trust. We have to trust in the Lord, our decision to trust. Then we see verse, uh, well, let me read this verse to you in Isaiah 119. It said this, if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. That is such a great tie verse to verse 3, because verse 3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Amen? Do good. That doesn't mean hope you're doing good, the way we say like do well, but it means to do that which is good, Right? To trust in the Lord and do good go hand in hand. You cannot be trusting in the Lord and doing evil. If you're doing evil, you don't trust the Lord. Because if you did, you'd know you're in big trouble. Amen. And you'd repent of the evil. To trust in the Lord goes hand in hand with doing good. That's why Isaiah said, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That we are to trust the Lord to do that which was right. And that's what we were supposed to do. And, and, and David said that if you will trust in the Lord and do good, you'll dwell in the land and you shall be fed. Amen. These things are, are good to dwell in the land and to be fed. That is, that is essentially what it means to be right with God. That if you're right with God and trusting in God, that God will keep you where you're supposed to be, and he will feed you. Amen. Verse number four, your delight in trusting. So this, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now that is an often quoted verse, is it not? But we want to look at this verse in the context of the passage, uh, not as a slogan, but as a truth of the Word of God. This directly follows the understanding that for verse number four to be true, verse number three must be true. If I'm trusting in the Lord, I'm doing good. Amen. If I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm doing good, then... He said this, delight thyself also. That means delighting yourself in the Lord follows trusting him. So the decision is to trust him. The delight is this. I need to take delight in the Lord. Now think about something in your life that brings you great delight. It's something that lights you up, right? It's, it's in the word, delight. It's something that, that gives you great pleasure and joy. It makes you smile. Sometimes things our kids do or say will give us delight. Sometimes the opposite. Sometimes things our spouse does or says gives us delight. And sometimes the opposite. But here's the truth. You know, there's things in life that I delight in. I delight in seasonal Reese's. Can you all say amen? My wife bought a six-pack of those Valentine's Day Reese's hearts. And I was like, well, I'll the kids were I said, I'll have one. And I did. And then I had two. And I thought, better stop. I've already gone too far, right? Because I delight. There's something special about those fresh. I mean, they're fresh, right? You know, you go buy a regular old pack of Reese's, you open it up, and sometimes it's like cardboard, man. It's just dry. But you get those, those hearts or those pumpkins or those eggs or whatever, and they're always good. Amen. You can just taste the oil rolling out of them when you're eating them. They're delicious. I delight in seasonal Reese's. I ought to have that kind of joy about God and the things of God. To delight in the Lord is to take great joy and pleasure 
uh, from the things that are of the Lord. Here's the problem. People often skip part one of verse number four. And they want to pluck out part two. The Bible says the Lord will give me the desires of my heart. Here's the trick. Ready? And I use the word trick. It's not a trick. It's right there in plain day. All you got to do is read. Let me give you some advice. Some, some good, solid hermeneutics, which is how to study your Bible. Only ever read a verse in the context of what it's saying. Don't pluck it out and make it say what you think you want it to say. Verse number four says this. If you delight in the Lord, he shall give you the desires of thine heart. If you delight in the Lord, then he is the desire of your heart. Now, it doesn't mean you won't ever desire anything else, but it does mean you won't desire anything that he wouldn't desire for you. To delight in the Lord is to love him completely. To delight in the Lord is to put his ways before our ways. We're talking about trusting the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Those verses say this. Love God, follow him completely, trust him, and want what he wants. Right? In all thy ways acknowledge him. Don't lean to your own understanding, but lean on his understanding. Don't acknowledge you acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths if you're doing that you're delighting in the Lord and if you're delighting in the Lord the Lord will give you what you want him now that's not to say that the Lord won't ever give us other things he does but have you ever wanted something that the Lord did not give you amen here's the truth there's things I've wanted that I didn't need and the Lord knew better and didn't give it to me then there's things that I wanted that honestly, even right now, if you were to ask me, is that good? I would say, well, to me it seems good. Sometimes those things are serious. You prayed for a loved one that you wanted to get better, and then they didn't. And we have to say, God knows best. You know what that is? That's trust. My buddy John, who died, <clears throat> he had been out of church for over a year and went down a path that ended in his untimely death. And I didn't want that to happen. I prayed for him constantly. And it wasn't just me. His whole family's praying for him. God, reach his heart and do something. And guess what? He never got right. Now, God's not going to make somebody right. God's a gentleman. I understand that. But... I prayed, and can I tell you, the desire of my heart was for John Harvey to get right, and be back in church, and see him happy. I prayed that God would send him a good, godly wife. Those prayers, those things did not happen. Does that mean that Psalm 37.4 is a lie? No. What it means is this. If we delight in the Lord, then we want what he wants. And as long as our desires align with his desires, he will answer them. That is why Jesus taught them to pray, thy will be done. Because when we pray and we ask, and, he, and, and if I'm being honest with you, even when I prayed for those things and when I pray for anything, I try to always remember to pray, God, thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven, right? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Because to delight in the Lord is to want what he wants more than what you want. You ever had to tell a child no? Now, I don't know. I think sometimes I thought my dad liked saying no. That's probably not fair to him. But there was at least once I can remember that he said, sometimes you just need to hear the word no. That sounds harsh, don't it? But you know what, as a parent, I totally get that. My kids need to know that they're not always going to get everything they want. That life is not going to be handed to them on a silver platter. Everything they want, they can just, the lights come on and the food's laid before them. That they have to work for something, right? Sometimes it's, it's, it's but guess what? When you're the one telling them that, and they're weeping, inconsolable, it's hard. Amen? But I know better than my two-year-old son. Amen. I know better than my five-year-old daughter. I know better than 
little Parker back there. I don't, know, I don't know everything, but I know better than them. Why? Because I can see farther than they can. And guess what? God is high and lifted up. He can see the end from the beginning. So he sees things I don't see and he understands things I don't understand. You know what that means? It means I can trust him. That means when I I delight in something and I ask for it and he says no, if I'm going to decide to trust him, I'm going to have to rest in this understanding. God, I don't understand, but I know you do. Amen? To delight myself in the Lord is to want what he wants, even when it doesn't line up with what I want. Matthew says this in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said to them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. James chapter 4 verse number 8, the first part of that verse says this, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. James says this, If you love God, and you delight in him, and you desire him, He'll draw an eye to you. Amen? Draw up close. Love him. Think on him. Praise him. And when you do, he will draw up close to you. He will love you. And he will will embrace you. Amen? To delight in God is to draw nigh to God. And for God then, in answer of your love for him, to draw up next to you. Psalm Psalm 73 Verse number 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. I say amen. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. To trust him is to love him. We speak about the things we love, right? There are signs of what we love and delight in. And I talk about things I enjoy. Brother Joe, he loves to fish when it's warm and maybe when it's cold. He loves to golf, amen. And I've talked with him and he'll tell me about things that he enjoys and, and this morning, and he, you know, I talked with Brother Marty and, and Brother Jason the other day about, about a game and different things. Me and Brother Tommy will often talk about Nintendo. Amen. Amen. Things we like and delight in, we talk about. If we're right with God, he'll be high up on that list. So how do you know? Well, because Jesus told us such in Luke chapter 6 when he said, For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaketh. The things that are in our heart that we love, we talk about them. And we draw near to them. If I love something, I'm going to be a part with it. I'm not going to be separate. I'm going to be a part in there, mixed in, drawn near. Let me move quickly. We see verse 5 and 6. We see our dedication, your dedication to trust. Commit thy way unto the Lord. To commit something is to put it into someone else's hands. Right? Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Our dedication is is more than just a decision. I chose to have Mexican food for for supper last night. Whether that was a good choice or not, I'm not sure. But I chose it. But I did not commit myself. From this day forward, I shall have Mexican food. A decision can be in a moment. But a dedication is something that should last a lifetime. A vow made before God. The Bible says it's better to never make a vow than to make it and break it. Amen? That dedication is this. I have not just chosen to trust Him, but I'm going to commit myself to trusting the Lord. I'm going to trust Him until He takes me out of here. Amen. Sometimes you've got to recommit. Sometimes you've got to decide right now that because of the decision I made then, look, I don't get it, but I'm just going to stick with God. One thing that if we will commit to him, he will absolutely keep is our righteousness and our judgment. It said that in verse 6. Our righteousness, he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light. That is very interesting wording because we understand Jesus is light. In John 9, 5, he said, I, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And in Matthew 5, 14, he said, ye are the light of the world. A city that sits on a hill cannot be hid. What does that mean? Jesus is our light. We are light. Because he is in us. And that light is righteousness. It's righteousness. So Jesus is the light of the world. That's right. But that light that shines, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because you continue that verse and you continue that thought, it says this, that if we will let our light so shine before men, they will see our good works. 
They will see our righteousness, that it is Christ's righteousness in us shining out. That by us trusting him and doing good, like verse 3 told us in our text, that God will then, we will commit our righteousness to him, commit ourselves and dedicate that is in salvation. He puts in us salvation. He puts in us righteousness. And then his righteousness shines out from us. And our righteousness, the verse says, will be as the light. You know what that means? I don't have any righteousness. You don't have any righteousness. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Christ in us. He's light, and his light in us shines out. Amen. Not only our righteousness, but our judgment, and our judgment will be as the noonday. And that thing about noonday is it's clear. At noonday, if things are clear, things are right out in the open, things are not hidden in secret. Noonday, it's out, and the sun is shining, and everything is clear. What? Our judgment. Because if we will commit ourselves to the Lord in salvation, we will trust in Him. He'll bring it to pass. Not only will He put His righteousness in us as light, but our judgment will be as the noonday. Romans 8, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that believe, to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Very simply, we understand this. If we are saved, if we commit ourselves, if we, if we dedicate ourselves to God, to Him, commit ourselves to God, our judgment will be this. There's no condemnation. Their, their judgment's done been passed. It says the noonday. We see our dependence in trust in verse number 7. To rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Fret not thyself. Now, that's easier said than done. You ever had something you couldn't help but just be fretting over? Amen. It's human to fret. It's normal to let those things worry. But over and over and over, the Bible tells us not to worry. Paul said this. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. That word careful doesn't mean like you're walking on a precipice. That word careful means full of care, worrying. Don't be fretting and worrying about things. Just take them to God and trust Him. That's what Paul said. It's the same thing that David says here. When he says rest in the Lord. I told you that definition, the definition of the word trust, it is to, it's a resting uh, or a reliance of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person. It is the resting of the mind. When you lay that foundation, all that concrete, and you go to build the walls, you don't think about the concrete anymore. It's there. It's set. It's dried. Everything's ready, and now you're going up from there. You don't worry about the foundation. You rest your mind on that. Now, you may worry about getting this right and doing good here and doing right there, but when it comes to that down there, you don't worry about that. That's what it means to rest in the Lord. Don't fret about the Lord. Don't fret on what the Lord is doing. Don't fret about the things in life that bother you. He said this, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. You know what he's saying? Don't worry about everybody else. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. When do we start worrying about every little thing? When we take our eyes off him. That's it, isn't it? Sometimes things rise up in life. The other morning I was walking and praying. And I was just praying and going through some things in a list and in, in my mind. I didn't have one written out in front of me yet. And praying over, you know, different people in the church and the names of everyone. And, and the Lord kind of spoke to my heart and I started to, to pray. And, and when I did, I said, Lord, I trust you. Out loud. You know, praying. And when I said that, it's like the whole, it's, I mean, it's, y'all, I've never heard an audible voice of God. But I've, heard him speak in my heart and in that moment it was like it was clear as day God said do you I was fretting Monday fretting hard let's be honest with you about some things just worrying I've been praying about it Lord help me with this help this situation do this and just fretting and in my mind I lay down at night it was in my mind Get that feeling like that little bubble. You know what I'm saying? That little bubble of worry. A little bubble of fret. It was in my, in my chest. I could feel it. I was out walking that morning. I'd been reading my Bible and uh, just out walking and praying. And 
Lord, I trust you, I said offhandedly in my prayer without giving it a second thought. Because we say it all the time, right? I tr- Lord, I trust you. Lord, I love you. I said, Lord, I trust you. And the Holy Spirit, do you? Are you trusting me right now? And I just started weeping. Because I, he knows I wasn't. I wasn't. You know what I was not do? I was not resting in the Lord. I was restless with worry and fret about this situation and this thing in my heart and this thing in my mind. And I was fretting. And I said, God, I want to. I was like that one who spoke to Jesus, said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And I said, Lord, will you help me to just trust you completely? And I began to go through that song. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. And I thought, Lord, you've never let me down before. I haven't always got what I wanted, but I've always, I've always known, no matter what happened, you were right and I could trust you. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And I began to pray, God, will you, will you help me trust you? Because I'm obviously not strong enough to rest in this. Will you help me? And he did. Because if you draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. And to rest in the Lord is to wait patiently. And by the way, that word rest, that the Hebrew word for rest there, it, it, it refers to the rest specifically in the instance of being quiet. Rest is quiet, right? The, 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 uh, the symbols used for that word rest there, that Hebrew word, it implies quietness. When we're resting, when we're sleeping, things are as quiet, right? Well, they should be. I know some of you maybe saw logs in your sleep, and that's fine. You but you know what I mean? It's quiet. It's a time of rest and quiet and just letting go. To rest, you can't rest in the Lord after verse 3. You've got to go from verse 3 to verse 4 to verse 5 and 6 and then to verse 7. To get to a place where you can let it go in the arms of God You can't just decide, well, I'm just going to let it go from now on. But you've got to decide. You've got to learn to delight in him and love what he wants more than what you want. You've got to learn to trust his ways more than your ways. You've got to learn to commit to what he says, even when it don't line up with what you say. And if you can do those things, if you can can make him the decision of trust, and you can make him your desire to trust him, and you can make him your dedication to trusting him, then you can come to that place of dependence in trusting him. Resting. Let me read you these last verses and we'll be done. Down in verse number 37, and there's a whole lot of great verses in this whole chapter. I I would recommend you read it. Some of them you probably know by heart or have heard. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Uh, All those things. There's just a lot of great verses in this passage. But down in verse number 37, we come down to the end of this thought of waiting on the Lord. Verse 34 actually says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Verse number 37 says this. We've seen the road of trusting in the Lord here in the first part, and then we see the result of trusting in the Lord. Verse 37. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. The result of trusting the Lord is that the, quote, perfect man, his end is peace. That word perfect in your Bible does not mean sinless and without fault or mistake because there's only been one perfect man. It means to be perfect in the Lord. Let us, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That's what Hebrews said. What it means is this. It means the perfect man is the one who is spiritually mature and resting in the Lord. The perfect man is the one whose heart is perfect toward God. One whose heart is perfect toward God is one who is resting in Him, who is doing good, who is drawing nigh to God, who loves Him, follows Him, and trusts Him. The perfect man the one that's doing good and he's doing what's upright and he is living for the Lord and loving the Lord, his end is peace. Does that mean nothing bad will ever happen? No. In fact, 
We might look at his end on this earth and say, I'm very peaceful. You think about some of the greatest men and women who've ever lived for the Lord who came to an ugly end to the flesh. The thing is, that's not their end. That's the first step into eternity, which is a never-ending ending. And their never-ending ending is peace. I'll also say this, the end of their trouble is peace because there's no peace like resting in the Lord, like understanding this. No matter what happens to me here, I know where I'm going. And I know that I can trust him, and I know that he knows best. That's a peaceful finish. Verse number 38, we see a painful finish. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. The word cut off, it means destroyed. It means separated. Can I tell you, the end of the one who refuses to trust in the Lord and rejects Him, their end will only be pain. They shall be destroyed together. And they shall be cut off. Cut off. The Bible talks about that. It uses that word a lot. Cut off. There'll be a day where they'll even be cut off from our remembrance. As if they never existed. Separate from God cast into the eternal wrath of the lake of fire. What a horrible end. Why would you choose verse 38 over verse 37? Why would you choose an ending of destruction and being cut off over an ending of peace? Amen? Then we see a powerful finish and we're done. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in a time of trouble. The Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. Trouble comes for everybody. Amen. But the one who trusts in Lord, in the Lord is always headed for deliverance. Whether it's the deliverance of heaven or whether God intervenes here on this earth because He still has a purpose, they're always headed for deliverance. And he will deliver them that trust him. He'll save them. He has saved them. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. Our salvation is of the Lord. He's our strength in a time of trouble. That means that even when we're in the trouble, one who trusts God finds strength. In moments of weakness, strength. In moments of sorrow, strength. Why? Because they trust the Lord. And he is our strength. We want to see growth in this church. I do. I want to see spiritual growth in our members. I want to see the men and the women and the children of this church become closer to God. I want to see the young people growing closer to God. I want to see the Sunday school teachers growing closer to God, the ministry workers, all of us, closer to God and growing in the Lord. That's what I want to see. I want us to be better than we were last year. And next year, I want to be better than we are this year. I want us to grow. I want to see that growth, right? I want to see growth in, in, in people getting saved, amen, and the furtherance of the gospel. And I want to see the seed being sown. And I, I'm praying that God will give the increase, right? I want to see that. But here's what I know. If we put our trust in men, we'll never see growth. We'll only see growth if our trust is in God. I don't want artificial growth. If I wanted artificial growth, I could make it. You say, well, maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe I'm not, but I guarantee I can find somebody who is. There's a lot of business people in the business of religion. Amen? Who know how to draw a crowd. That's a fact. There are physical things I could do that we could do as a church that would undoubtedly draw a crowd. Amen? But it would not be spiritual growth. It would be fabricated. And here's the truth about fabricated growth. It doesn't last. It doesn't hold. What we need is we need true, genuine growth. How are we going to get that? 
Trusting in the Lord and doing good. That's, that's what the verse said, wasn't it? Trust in the Lord and do good. That means we do it right and we do it His way. And if we think His way is working too slow, we don't want anything else. The Bible talks about strange fire. We don't want strange fire. We want the fire of the Lord, right? We want real, genuine growth. Jeremiah 1 said this, or Jeremiah, excuse me, 17, verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. If we trust in the Lord, He is our hope. Our hope cannot be in man. Our hope cannot be in the devisings of man. Our hope cannot be in money. Our hope can't be in, in any foundation outside of God. My hope can't be in me. Your hope can't be in me. Our hope must be in God. Our hope can't be in our money. Our hope can't be in pragmatism and programs. Programs have a place in assisting doing good and serving the Lord, but that ain't what's going to fix it. That ain't what's going to give the growth. The growth must come from God. Otherwise, it's not growth. It's tares. None of those things will bring growth. None of those things will bring growth. Jeremiah 17, 7 tells us to trust in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, 8 said this. If we'll trust in the Lord, if we'll make Him our hope, it should be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river. and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green. and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. How do we yield fruit? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. A branch can't bear fruit if it's not attached to the vine. A tree cannot bear fruit if it is not planted by the rivers of water. It just can't be done. If we want to grow together, we must trust in the Lord. Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.